Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to Intersections Mass's Talk Radio, a monthly holistic lifestyle show focused on the continual evolution into the best versions of our authentic selves. We and our guests discuss relationships and health and wellness, each of which it contributes to meaningful and fulfilling lives. This is Jess Bina, your host. I'm a former practicing lawyer and the founder of Intersections Match, the only elite national personalized service focus on singles of South Asian descent nationwide in the U.S. I'm very excited to welcome Lori Gottlieb to our show tonight. Lori is a national best-selling author and a journalist whose work has appeared in the New York Times, The Atlantic, Time, People, Slate, Self, Glamour, Al, Salon, and the L.A. Times. Lori is also a frequent commentator for NPR's All Things Considered. Tonight we'll be discussing Lori's best-selling book, Marry Him, the case for settling for Mr. Good Enough. Welcome, Lori. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. As a professional matchmaker and dating coach, I'm fascinated by insights and perspectives regarding relationships. I've thoroughly enjoyed reading Mary Him, the case for settling for Mr. Good Enough, and would love to explore some of the insights shared in your book. Before exploring those insights, I'd love to give you the opportunity, Lori, to um, share with our listeners what prompted you to write this book. Yeah, well, you know, it wasn't a book that I intended to write. It was, you know, it came about because like many women in their 30s, I was still single and not wanting to be and wondering why I hadn't found the right person to spend my life with yet. And I was never one of those people who was like, you know, oh, I, you know, I imagined my wedding and, you know, I was into all of that. I just, I just always knew that, you know, one day I would want to meet the right person and, and, um, and, and be with somebody. And I hadn't found that. And, and so many people that I knew hadn't found that either. And so, um, you know, I started to wonder, because I'm also a journalist, where are we going about things in the wrong way, especially as more of my friends got married and, I would hear about what made them so happy in their relationships and what made them happy in marriage and what made them really feel like they were in love with their husbands. And it had nothing to do with the things that we were talking about and looking for when we were dating. And so I thought, well, maybe, you know, we're doing things not, you know, not in a way that's going to um, really make us happy. So I went to, um, I went to, uh, you know, experts all over the country. I talked to neurobiologists about chemistry and sociologists about how the culture informs our choices and marital researchers about, you know, insights that they could share about what makes for happy marriages. And um, and then I tried these things out myself, and that's really what Mary Him is. 
Excellent. How interesting. I, um, you know, and along those lines, I found a quote in your book particularly compelling and would love to share that with our, the quote with our listeners and then have you expand. And you wrote, um, quote, when happily married women told me what they thought was important as you get older, similar themes emerged. What matters is finding the perfect partner, not the perfect person. It's not about lowering your standards. It's about maturing and having reasonable expectations. There's a difference between what makes for a good boyfriend and what makes for a good husband. And I, I know you, um, you started to speak a little bit about that just now, but tell us more about that. Yeah, um, well, you know, I, I think that people get really tripped up by the title of the book, but it actually relates to that quote. Um, because, you know, the idea of settling for Mr. Goodenough is used kind of ironically um, in the title because what those married people knew is that good enough, you know, we're all kind of Mr. and Ms. Good Enough. And there was a survey in the book where men and women were asked, if you got 80% of all of your ideal qualities in a partner, would you be happy? And 93% of women said, um, no, that's settling, 80%, forget it. And the majority of men said, 80%, that's a catch. I hope I can find 80%. (laughs) And so, you know, that was really interesting to me. And so the more that, that I kind of explored this concept of, you know, is getting less than everything that we're looking for really settling? Or is that actually what makes us happy, you know, if we have the important things there? And so what what I'm really asking people to do in the book is not to settle in the way that our culture, uh, you know, might define settling, but I'm really asking us to think. I'm saying you need to have really high standards, obviously, when you're choosing the person you want to spend your life with, but you have to have high standards about the right things. And that's really, I think, what that quote speaks to. Not having high standards about um, things that are of lesser importance and losing perspective on, on the most important things that one should really um, hold to in that sense. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, I think, I think there are so many things that people, you know, have on this sort of mental checklist of what they're looking for, and they consider those things, you know, well, I can't help it if I have high standards. That's what I'm attracted to. And the problem is that a lot of those things really have nothing to do with whether you might fall in love with the person. Uh, or have a long, happy long-term relationship after doing that. So in terms right. of what's important for a relationship in the long term and raising a family together or whatever else might be the goal for well, someone go- in finding their mates. Right, and just going through life together. I mean, you you absolutely have to have passion and you have to have physical attraction and all of that. But, you know, it's kind of like these rigid ideas that we have in our heads. Like, like you know, in the book, I wouldn't email a guy on Match.com because he was shorter than five foot nine. And now I'm barely five foot two. I mean, you know, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm really, I'm five foot one and three quarters, but I round up. And... I said, well, I'm just not going to be attracted to somebody who's shorter than 5'9", so why even bother? And I thought I was being really flexible, by the way, by lowering it to 5'9". And um, and the fact is, when I met this guy, this is a guy who I ended up dating, um, you know, I was extremely attracted to him. So we have these ideas in our head about who we are or are not going to be attracted to, and often we're wrong. Okay, and... Um... And let me let me tell you, in our matchmaking practice, one of our underlying philosophies is that knowing a lot of details about a potential match can come in the way of organically getting to truly know them. And as such, you know, we deliberately share very little information between the matches prior to our introductions. And given our philosophy, the following passage from your book, where you quote Dan um, Ariely, um, a behavioral economist, 
really resonated, and I'd like to learn a little bit more about that. And the quote that I'm going to pick out is where you wrote, um, quote, the less you know about a potential mate before you meet, the better, Ariely said. It leaves less room for the fantasy to build, um, end quote. And then you later wrote of Ariely's findings, quote, knowing too much about a person's sight unseen makes it harder to become interested in him. And the more traits you have knowledge of, the more information that gives you to rule somebody out. Um, tell me more about this. this is, right, um, exactly. Because, you know, when we do Internet dating, often, you know, if somebody writes, like, I like music, and then you say, well, I like music, okay, we have that in common. You think, okay, that you have sort of this positive reaction to the person. But if they name all of these bands that you don't like, then you're going to say, oh, no, he's not for me. I can't, you know, I don't, I don't like the same music. And so even though you haven't even met the person, and that might, you know, not matter at all. And so, you know, we, we look at these profiles in this way where we think, you know, we think we make up entire life stories about these people based on one or two pieces of specific information that they might give us. And what Ariely said, which I thought was really apt, was he said, um, find it, like looking – Looking at the like the qualities and the and the like music and movies and all those things that people list on their online dating profile is like looking at the list of ingredients on a recipe and trying to imagine what the final dish tastes like. You can't really know from just seeing those things on paper. You don't know until that person is right in front of you. And in fact, some other researchers that I quote in the book from Northwestern who studied online dating had people write down what they were looking for in an online dating profile. And then they sent them out on dates, and they didn't tell them anything about the people. They just sent them out on these dates. And then they had them rate who they had the most fun with, who they were most attracted to, um, who they wanted to go out with again. And the people they picked, the people they liked the most, matched their list of qualities the least. So we think we know what we're looking for. And the people who actually matched what they were looking for online were not the people who they picked in real life to go out with again. So often we don't even know, you know, we think like, I want these qualities, but the more specific you get, you could be completely wrong about what kind of person that is. Interesting. Now, now during the personal consultations that we conduct as part of our process, when discussing essential needs or must-haves on the one hand and deal breakers on the other, you know, I typically find it meaningful to probe the underlying whys behind each must-have and deal-breaker. Mm -hmm. And perhaps for that reason, the following quote from your book really resonated with me. And that quote is, um, quote, that's a mistake many of us make. Our must-haves and deal-breakers are the what when they should be the why. So can you, um, can you explain that? Yeah, yeah, that was so interesting. There were there were a lot of people who thought, you know, it's kind of like we know what we're attracted to when we see it, but we often in advance don't know what it's going to be, and that's because we know what we're attracted to, but we don't know why. And here's an example. They were saying, say that you, you know, say, well, I want somebody who has like a stable job with health insurance and, you know, that kind of thing. I don't want to go out with artists. I don't like artists. I want to go out with someone who's more stable than that. Um, and it turns out that you end up falling in love with a composer who's freelance. Well, how can that be? It turns out that you're attracted to the intellect of these people or their ambition, and so maybe the composer is very intellectual and ambitious, but he doesn't have, like, a stable corporate job, and so you don't know why you're attracted to that, but, but you know that you're attracted to that person. And so I think we get really tripped up by having these very rigid kind of, um, you know, 
ideas about who it is we will or will not go out with. Interesting. Yes, I um, very much. You know, someone says, "I want exactly like what you said." I hear. You know, I want a lawyer. You explore why it could be the stable, or it could be like you said, the intellectual, or it could be just. I, you know, I hear many times from people. You know, I, I just want someone who you know, put in the time to get that grad degree because I know that person has determination or what it might be. So um, very, very interesting. And there's another quote in your book, and I think you've touched upon this um, in, in different things you've said already, um, in, which I believe many of our listeners will find interesting. And that quote is, um, quote, there was a big disconnection between who I saw myself with and what I actually wanted, um, end quote. So, again, I think we may have touched upon this before, but tell us about uh, what you mean by that. Um, Well, I I think that a lot of people, we have sort of a type, and we keep going after that type. And for whatever reason, that's not working. (laughs) So, um, you know, you really have to look at why you're drawn to certain kinds of people, and are are they giving you what you want? So you may be going, you may say, well, I really am attracted to this very charismatic, um, very great sense of humor, um, you know, kind of guy. Um, but then what you want is somebody who is, um, you know, a little bit more grounded on, on the home front. Or, you know, I mean, that's just one example. It depends on, you know, what, what your particular wants are. But mm-hmm. a lot of times we're going after these types and they're not giving us what we want and they're not working out. And so we really need to figure out, you know, what that disconnection is. Uh, so maybe even the idea of something is, is exciting to us, but the reality of it in terms of what the flip side of that might be um, is something that makes some internal consistencies happen there that might need. Is that, so that's well, yeah, I mean, I think people say, you know, they have a lot of um, contradictory wants, and so they'll say things like, um, you know, I want a guy who is really charismatic and attractive but never flirts with other people, you know, in the world or at a party. And it's like, well, you know, part of what makes him so charismatic and that draws people to him is, you know, is the fact that he has this kind of flirtatious personality. Um, mm-hmm. Or I want someone who's really sensitive and really emotionally available, but he can't cry. And so, you know, and so basically you're going after, you know, these alpha males who never show any emotion, but they're also not giving you the emotional component that you need. So there are a lot of... of them, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, all right, now, and I'm, um, and, you know, empowerment in terms of women and men in this whole relationship thing is something that's very important to me. And there's another quote in your book which I thought particularly insightful and empowering. And that one is where you wrote, um, quote, I'm finding this more realistic way of dating kind of liberating. How reassuring it is to know that in many ways finding a good mate isn't just some random external event. It's based largely on our own choices and actions. And um, I'd love to hear more about this. I know our listeners would. Yeah, well, I think that a lot of us kind of think that, you know, destiny or fate or whatever it is, you know, someday we'll be in the supermarket and we'll drop a can of peas and our eyes will meet because some guy will pick it up. I mean, nobody really thinks that, but 
I think even when, you know, you're on Match.com or whatever it is, and you think, oh, my gosh, we have all these things in common. It's destiny. It's fate. Can you believe that he just broke up with his girlfriend three weeks before, and then he happened to get my profile? You know, like we, we always make, make uh-huh, stories uh-huh. about, like, why it's so meant to be. Um, and, and I think that that's really a very um, difficult position to be in if you're waiting for destiny or fate to kind of deliver this person to you um, or put you guys in each other's paths. Because, you know, it it really has more to do with, and married people, very happily married people will tell you, you know, that it wasn't all this magic about them meeting, that they, you know, many, you know, there are some great stories, but but many times they they happened to, it was a very, like, unromantic in our culture, but very romantic to them way of meeting. It's just they happened to know each other, or they've been friends for a while, or they worked two cubicles apart, you know. It wasn't like some kind of magical fantasy thing. And so I think that by saying, I can make smart choices and I can look for people who are going to give me the things that I really want in, in a marriage um, if, if you're looking for marriage or in a long-term relationship if that's what you're looking for um, then I think it gives you a lot more power you're not you're not sitting back you're not so vulnerable you're saying I'm gonna look around me and and look for these qualities that really matter to me and notice them and I think that they're much more apparent and available than a lot of us think because we kind of believe that, you know, when we meet the right person, bells and whistles are going to go off that somehow signal to us that, oh, I've met him and now I can stop. And it doesn't, it doesn't always happen that way. Now, now given your extensive research, um, did anything you learned catch you by surprise? And, or maybe a lot. There may be many. I know how extensively research your book is. So, um, but I'm, yeah, I'm just curious if uh, what if anything caught you by surprise. Well, I think so many things did. I mean, I think the. I think first of all, I didn't think that I was picky before all this started. And so when you read the book, you say, what's wrong with this woman? How could she not have known how picky she was? Um, because I share a lot of that in the book, and I, I don't, you know, I don't sugarcoat it. But I think that the reason I shared that is because when I did these interviews, I also interviewed, you know, hundreds of just, you know, besides the experts, regular men and women, single and married, and, and people were very honest with me. And I think I was really surprised by, you know, how much we analyze um, potential partners so early on, like on a first date. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's another survey in the book where men and women were asked, um, uh, you know, what would be a deal breaker for going on a second date? This is actually a survey that was done by a dating coach, Evan Mark Katz, who was helping me okay. um, during this, during the writing of the book. And he, you know, he sent out the survey and um, men named basically three things that would rule out somebody for going on a second date. And they were, she has to be warm and kind. She has to be attractive enough. And that doesn't mean she has to look like Angelina Jolie. She has to just be attractive enough to him. And she has to be interesting to talk to. And she gets another two hours, another date. Women had 300 things, 300, that would rule out a guy for a second date. And so, you know, I, that was really surprising to me because, you know, I kind of thought that, that, you know, we always, I think as women, we think, oh, men are so picky. But in reality, what I found in this book and what statistics, there's so many statistics and surveys and things like that where, you know, yeah. that, that researchers had done um, that showed that actually women are so much pickier. It was, it was amazing. And so they were picky about things that, that didn't matter at all. And, and, and in fact, they were not picky enough 
about things that do matter. So things like kindness, things like are they reliable? Do they call when they say they will? Are they into yeah. me? You know, all those things. Like that was sort of irrelevant. I mean, not completely, but they would still be obsessed with these guys who didn't so what treat the them very well. Yeah. What were the what were the things? What were some of the some of the three hundred um things if they weren't what you're talking about in terms of some of the character traits that you right. expect, you know. Well they were so nitpicky. You know, they were things like um you know, well, I had thought he was really cute and smart and funny, and then we were having a good time, but then he did this Austin Powers impression on the date, and I just couldn't get over that. I was like, I was so turned <laughs> off by that. And so, you know, what she might do then is go go back home and, you know, go out on more dates, go back on online dating or whatever to find a guy who's not going to do an Austin Powers impression. But then that guy's going to do something on a date that she might not like. And and by the way, if she goes on a second date with Austin Powers guy and he's doing Austin Powers impressions the whole time, okay, you know, that's annoying. I, I agree. Forget it. But, but, but the point is, you know, maybe he was nervous. And what a lot of women forget is that if a guy really is interested in you on that first date, he might be a little bit nervous and he might be trying to impress you. And he might do something a little dorky. And that just means that he is really, you know, into this. And see if he relaxes a little bit on the second date when he realizes, oh, she accepted the date, so she must be interested enough to go on a second date with me. So maybe he'll relax and be himself a little bit more. But the guys who are like those really smooth daters, a lot of times, you know, you're just you're just a number. <laughs> you know, you could be one of anybody. And so, you know, think about that before you just dismiss a guy completely if the other things were there that you actually were having a pretty good time otherwise. Great. I think um, absolutely. I will second that. <laughs> I'll just say that. Um, now, given, given your extensive research as well as, as well as any personal experiences, which I know in your book, which is, um, you know, to help the readers relate, you know, you, you share many of them. I'd like to give you the opportunity to share with our listeners of all ages, uh, many of whom are, are singles, um, who are very much interested in, um, in finding their mates, any suggestions you may have for them based on, you know, your, your extensive research and your personal experiences and speaking to the different experts you spoke with. Yeah, well, I mean, it's hard. I mean, the reason that, that I don't have, like, bullet points and exercises and things at the end of the chapters is because, you know, the reason that I was I was approaching this book very journalistically um, and, you know, I would go to the experts and I would find out what the research said and then I would try it out in, in real life myself. And so there's so many things that I ended up having to do. I mean, what it all came down to was, changing my perspective, but what does that actually mean? It didn't mean lowering my standards. It didn't mean finding someone that I wasn't attracted to. It didn't mean that I should downplay chemistry. It didn't mean any of those things. And so I can't really explain it in bullet points. You kind of have to read the book to see what they're talking about because it, it took me going through the process myself, which you know I hope readers kind of go through the process with me as they're reading the book, to really understand what it meant and what it didn't mean. Fair enough. Um, is there any like last thought center or take home message that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Um, you know, and of course, you know, it, not as a substitute for for reading the book and you know t- having that whole experience. And you said go through the experience with you as well. Uh, but any take home message to just get um, someone's mind, you know, working along the lines that you'd, uh, you'd recommend based on your research experience? Yeah, well, I think one of, one of the most valuable things that happened in the writing of the book was um, at a certain point, you know, I, I was having a lot of trouble changing my, my very fixed idea of 
what kind of guy I had to be with. And, you know, and I was really struggling with sort of opening up the possibilities that, you know, I could, there are lots of people that I could really potentially be with and be really happy with. And so, um, you know, and I would, I, I didn't realize how much I nitpicked to the, to the point of like, you know, if, if a guy, um, you know, wrote something in his profile that I didn't like, even though I liked the rest of the profile, I was, I wouldn't email him. I mean, and, and I was not alone in that. A lot of women do that. Um, there was a guy who said his favorite movie was You've Got Mail. And I said, that's his favorite movie? Like, you know, it's not even like one of his favorite movies. Like, it's like Casablanca, Annie Hall, and You've Got Mail. You know, it's just You've Got Mail. And, and, and even though I liked, you know, the rest of his profile pretty well. And so, um, and so it was really funny because I made all these assumptions about what that meant about him that like, oh, he's, he like, he has like sappy bad taste or, you know, he's not sophisticated. And, and, you know, and, and Evan actually, the dating coach said to me, well, maybe he just thinks Meg Ryan is hot or maybe he, um, you know, thinks it'll make him come across as a sensitive guy. Or maybe he just filled it out in five minutes and that's what he wrote because he had just seen, like, a promo for it on TV or something, you know. Like, you have no yeah. idea why he wrote that. And I I think that it goes deeper than these superficial things. There was another woman who who's not in the book but who um, I came to one of my readings, and she said, you know, I'm I'm engaged now to this guy that I'm totally in love with, who I met on Match.com, and I almost didn't even, I, I wouldn't have gone out with him if I'd noticed that he had checked the has kids box on the on his profile. Um, and, and she said, you know, I, I met him, he mentioned his kids on the first date, she was 31, he was 33, and she knew he had been divorced, but, you know, she didn't know about the kids, and, and he had put it on his profile, but she just didn't notice it, and she said, I would have just clicked over to all these other guys who don't have kids, and I would still be out there dating probably and not have fallen in love with any of them. And so I think we just, we have to kind of open up the idea that, like, he might not meet the exact picture that you had in your head, but he will, it's still the fairy tale for you. It's just not the fairy tale that our culture might give us. And so, you know, at one point someone in the book says to me, you know, instead of having this very rigid idea of, you know, this guy and what he has to be like, I want you to write down everything a guy would have to put up with to spend the rest of his life with you. And I thought, well, that's okay. I mean, I know I'm not perfect, so, you know, I can certainly list some things. But then he was like, you know, no, I really want you to think about this because all these things that you think are cute and quirky, quirky and endearing you know, about you can be really annoying. And so you have to think about, you know, somebody is going to compromise to be with you too, and that's okay. Guys are much better at kind of taking the whole package. And women are, you know, will like say, oh, I'm going to throw out the whole package because I don't like this one aspect of it. And so I think that the, the most important thing that I really learned to do and, and, you know, the specifics are in the book, was to really learn how to look for the things that were important and let go of all of the stuff that really, in the scheme of things, is really not important at all. Wonderful. You know, I think that is a great place to end, but I want to ask you to do one more thing, and that is can you share with our listeners um, about a bit about the gentleman with the bow tie, because I think <laughs> that really relates to what you've just been talking about, and I think it really is a um, a very important point, um, you know, for everyone out there who is who is really um, interested in meeting someone. And so, go ahead. I'm going to let you take if, if you can share a bit with our listeners about that. Sure. Uh, that to be our last. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, without without spoiling the whole ending, I will I will give the introduction to it, which is that 
um, the guy who ended up becoming my boyfriend was somebody who on Match.com in his picture was wearing um, a bow tie. And I, I said, what kind of, you know, what kind of person wears a bow tie? I don't want to date Orville Redenbacher. What, what is that about? And so, you know, so I, I wasn't going to email him, but I really liked the other things in his profile. And I ended up emailing him because I was trying to kind of, you know, put into practice what all of the experts had told me about, you know, what I had been doing wrong and why I hadn't met the right guy. And I thought, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. So I'm going to do something different this time, and I'm going to email somebody that I would otherwise be interested in except for the fact that he was shorter than I would have liked and he was wearing this bow tie. And so, um, and so, you know, when I actually met him, I found out later that he doesn't wear bow ties all the time or anything like that. The reason he was wearing a bow tie and the reason that he does have some bow ties but does not wear them again on a regular basis is that um, when he was a little kid, he said to his grandfather, Grandpa, I want to be just like you. And his grandfather said, you want to be a dentist? And he said, no, I want to wear bow ties. <laughs> And so when when his grandfather died 20 years later, his grandfather bequeathed him the bow ties. And so it's just a way he had a very close relationship with his grandfather. And it was just, you know, he wears them sometimes because they remind him of his grandfather. And I thought, that is the sweetest story. That is the, the most, you know, endearing story. And it made me feel even more connected to him and really um, admire his character even more. And so I think like, you know, we, again, we make these assumptions about why somebody might be doing something, like why he might be wearing a bow tie, meaning, oh, I guess he has no fashion sense or he's really geeky or, you know, whatever it is. And that wasn't the case at all about this guy. Wonderful. Everyone I work with knows it's going to resonate. Everyone knows, I say, preconceived notions really come in the way of really getting to know someone. So I think that's, um, Actually, a great example of that, so I'd love to end there. I'd like to thank um, Lori Gottlieb for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. And once again, if you'd like to learn more about the insights Lori's been sharing with us today, her book is entitled Marry Him, The Case for Settling for Mr. Good Enough. And um, in case you joined us late or would like to share this show with people in your life, I'd like to remind you that today's show will be archived and available as a podcast on Intersections Match's website, which is www.intersectionsmatch.com. And I can be reached at just being at intersectionsmatch.com as well. Appreciate your hanging out with us. Do email me with topics you'd like discussed in future shows. And make sure to join us for next month's show on Sunday, June 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, when we'll be speaking with relationship expert Catherine Cardinal, author of Men to Run Away From, so you can find the right one to run to. Goodbye, everyone.